Zacchaeus was a taxman, and of these he was the shorter. The people didn't like him because he taxed more than he ought to. <laughs> Zacchaeus, little taxman, heard that Jesus was around, so he climbed a tree to see him, hiding six feet off the ground. Zacchaeus, cheating taxman, tried to hide from Jesus' view. But Jesus, no one fools him, said, I've come to visit you. Zacchaeus talked with Jesus. No one knows what Jesus said, but he surely changed Zacchaeus, who gave tax refunds instead. Zacchaeus, honest tax man, wasn't sorry Jesus came, though he knew the worst about him. Jesus loves Zac just the same. Well, today we're beginning a new series. <laughs> called Luke Street. Uh, and we're looking at just some of the stories of Jesus eating and visiting people in their homes as recorded in the Gospel of Luke, Luke's Street. You get it? Okay. And today we're looking at the person of Zacchaeus. Uh, G2 is unusual in that we take this break from our summer meetings because so much of what we've done is really driven by volunteer involvement. And so the volunteers are all off doing different things during the summer. So we take this uh, break. And it always means we have a bit of a, a, a sleepy start to September. And I think it's always good just to refresh our ideas and our thinking and our hearts to start simple, to start thinking about the basics. We have a lot planned this term, so get ready. You've got a month to warm up to top spiritual speed as we multiply our services and hubs and alpha and even some things beyond that we haven't got time to talk about today. There is a lot in store for us, and it's good for us to come back from a a Sabbath break, a summer rest, even a rest from the good of doing church to be re-energized in order to pick up everything that God's got for us this term ahead. And as I've said, a, a, a reminder, a remembering of some of the things that we are called to and are important to us as a church. I hope you won't mind also if I just kind of give you some of my updates from my summer and some of the adventures I've been on over the last uh, six, seven weeks, because some of those have been, for me, confirming some of the things that we are doing, and actually, our lives are all joined up. Do you know what? So it's not like, oh, well, you heard about the thing Miriam's doing. Guess what? You're doing that as well. You're part of her story. She's part of your story. She told you that. You're part of my story. I'm part of what God's doing in you. Our, our lives are connected, and the name for that connection is just church. We are caught up in something that God is doing together. One of the things I've been doing, I've started doing a, a doctoral degree 
in church planting, I know it's really hard work. I get, I have to go to Kentucky to do it. So I fly out every year now to do my doctoral research in Kentucky. Oh, it's so cool. Come and talk to me. The stories that I could tell you. Hard work as well. Um, and just to, just to update you, I know some of you will be fascinated by this. What am I going to be studying? I'm going to be studying medieval craft guilds. I know it's that good. Um, What I'm actually looking at is how do we train people to plant churches? And my dream is that that what I can conclude will actually change the way the Church of England trains people to plant churches. But I'll need to write it up in, you know, big words in order to get a a shot at maybe having a bit of influence um, in doing that. But that's the dream of why I'm doing it. I want it to be of actual, real value. And as I've written even my first chapter, in a sense, the trajectory of it is really I'm trying to write up our story so far and project it going forward. I want to catch some of the heart that we've had in releasing people to do things that God has called them to do. So more um, about that, lots of confirmations, lots of prophecies from people, lots of encouragements, lots of amazing people that I've met along the way. I want to just flag up some of the things. And let me just give you some of the things that I did while I was away. First of all, I got to visit a mega church. Wow. Like, there aren't any in the UK, really. There aren't any. But I got to go to a church with 4,000 people. So I knew there was one that met like three miles away from where I was studying. So on Sunday, a new friend of mine, student, Nathan, and I went uh, over to, I won't say the name of the church, we went over to this um, mega church. It was incredible. Let me tell you about some of the things. They have police with like, rifles on the doors and apparently if you're in the police and you're in that church that's the rotor that you do on Sunday like guns (laughs) so like as you come in there's police cars with the lights flashing and then like two guys with like semi-automatic rifles hi welcome to church nice to see you so that's different isn't it that's different I'm just looking for ideas, you know, things that we can copy, <laughs> things we can do in our church. Here's another thing they did. Um, they have several services, but for each service they have, they have another one that starts 10 minutes later. I was like, that's unusual timing. They was like, oh, yeah, that's for everyone that arrives late. And then, like, they have this clever switch over, and as soon as the first start, service starts, then the welcomers, everyone else that comes in, oh, hi, yeah, it, it's here the service, and they go to the 10 minutes later service, and then they get to hear the sermon live streamed with a 10 minute delay. It's incredible. Wow. And people were saying like, hey, what do you do? And I was like, well, we just end up starting 10 minutes late. Cause... <laughs> <laughs> um, they, start, they start their service. I hope you don't mind me telling all this. They start their service with a, a secular song. So I'm, I'm sitting there before the meeting starting, and I was like, Unless Taylor Swift is writing worship songs now, that is definitely not a worship song that the band are playing. So apparently that's a thing now. That's a thing you do to prove that you're really cool as a church. The worship band play like a secular song before the worship starts. So Dan, maybe, do you know any Taylor Swift? Could you? Next week? Crack, crack something out? That would be brilliant. But the other thing, actually, is, is I had some really highs and lows with that experience of visiting that church, and I'd never want to criticize a church. But for all that they did brilliantly and magnificently and excellent, it actually was so slick, it almost lacked heart. 
it was beautifully polished in a way that I felt, for me, it lacked human engagement, that something so precious about what church is. I felt like I went to a great show. I don't know, like nobody spoke to me or my friend. We went to speak to people, but nobody spoke to us. I guess because nobody knows if you're new or not. Like there's 8,000 people. How would you possibly know? We were sat in the front row. We thought, let's, you know, like be keen and everything. Um, so I visited a me- mega church. And I was, I was part of fascinating discussions from Methodists all around the world. And it was both, it was both elating and heartbreaking to hear different parts of the world, and we meet in a Methodist building, different parts of the world where Methodism is, is thriving and in other places where it's, it's, it's not doing well at all. And I was inspired by some of the American guys I was meeting. They, was, they were saying, in our bit of the U.S., their um, section, whatever it's called, I can't remember, uh, of the U.S., um, uh, it's like a quarter of the Methodists, um, in the United States, they said they'll close 5,000 churches this year. But the guy I was speaking to, he said, my job is like for like to see 5,000 churches get planted. So what they're saying is, for every one that closes, we will start another. For every tree that goes, we will plant another tree. I was, I was absolutely amazed by that. And their boldness, we're going to plant 5,000 churches every year. Hey, Christian, come and see how we do it. So uh, that was great. Um, I had fascinating discussions from, with people all around the world, and these were all people involved in church planters. Half of us were from Europe, Britain, U.S. The other half were from uh, the developing nations of the world, people from various countries in Africa, from uh, India, from uh, Nepal, and some others from, from parts of Asia, not developing nations, but other, other very different cultures and I was struck and actually really convicted and and um, challenged by the priorities that some of them have that are different to the way I approach even church and what I think is normal about how you do church one one guy I was sat next to him one of my classes we were just asked to say like just say a little bit about uh, what's happened in your church in the last few weeks and Patrick he said, um, well, where we are, it's quite difficult. We're in a predominantly Muslim area, and the Muslims often say, stop talking about Jesus. Okay, we're warning you, stop talking about Jesus. He said, but me and my associate pastor, we prayed and we felt we must keep talking about Jesus. So they kept talking about Jesus. And two weeks ago, the associate pastor was shot dead outside their church. And then, but I was just moved by his heart, and he said, but praise God, we're not going to stop. We're going to keep talking about Jesus. And then he says, you know, how is it for you, Christian? And I thought, oh, my word, my, my understanding of commitment and cost compared to you, he's talking to me as if I know more than him because I'm from the West. But actually, he knows far more than me. And this same guy, Patrick, I said, um, so no, he said to me, what do you do on Sunday? So I talked to him about, you know, Sundays, different th- what I do on Sunday. Uh, and I said, oh, Patrick, what do you do on Sunday? He said, well, we have three services, so we get up very early for the first service. He said, the church liked me to preach for about two hours. He's like, how do you, do you preach for Christian? I was like, oh, it's a bit shorter. Yeah, <laughs> won't be two hours. So, so the church liked me to preach about two, for two hours because they love hearing about Jesus. So he said, they won't let me speak for less than two hours. So anyway, email in if you want us to do two-hour sermons. We will accommodate you. 
Um, and then he says, we do, we do three services back to back. And they have a small building. People are crammed in. He said, we have a team of people whose job it is, as the service ends, to push people out of the building. He said, because Christian, if we don't, they'll stay to get it all over again. Do you find the same, Christian? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've got to push them out of the building team as well. Oh, those guys work really hard. Um, and then, so I said, wow, you must be exhausted. Like, how do you spend your afternoon? Like, I thought, you know, relaxing, you know, uh, spa day. You know, what, what do you do after that? All that effort. So he said, oh, well, um, then the children go to stay with other families. So my wife and I then, the associate pastors, will have given us a list of all the people that didn't come to church. And we go and visit them to find out why. He said, Christian... I don't know what you find. We find the reason is usually demons. So we spend our afternoon <laughs> casting demons out of those that didn't come to church that day. Uh, wow, okay. But I'm learning, I'm learning loads of stuff. <laughs> I'm making notes, tips for church. Um, one of the things I was struck by... Um, one of the things we, we were talking about strategy, like how do you, like Miriam's talking today, how do, you, how do you start something new? How do you plant a church? How do you release leaders? How do you know who God's calling, who's God's releasing, who God's uh, needing you to make room for um, in the church? And um, I, I think the Westerners, it's so, it's, it's, it's so practical. It's so, and I think it's, it's actually really dry. Here's, here's the list that the, that the Indians and the Africans gave me. They agreed on this list of what they look for in people called to lead anything in the church. So number, can you guess what question number one is? What quality they look for? Okay, I'll tell you what it is because it could be many things. Number, quality number one, are they really good at fasting? So not just average at fasting. Are you really good at fasting? <clears throat> and guess where this comes from? It's because... They have so little. So if they have a problem, unlike us, where we might have a range of solutions like, hey, let's employ someone to do that. Let's, uh, let's buy something to solve that problem. They, they, they have, on the whole, so few options for that kind of thing. And so actually their only resource is God. So their definition of a leader is someone who's proved that they're good at getting on their knees, fasting, and going to God for solution. So, okay, there was three problems mentioned at church. Right, they, the leader goes away and fasts about them. Um, one of our guys from England was sick while we were there, and I was talking to Patrick. He said, oh, my wife's already fasting. Already fasting for him. I told her to get, get praying. I was like, oh, well, we took him to the hospital. We got medical insurance. It'll be fine. He's like, wife's fasting. It'll be fine. So guys, if you feel called to leadership, hey, guess what question I need to ask you? Are you really good at fasting? Here's the next thing. This is a question for people called to be um, church planters. Are you called to be a church planter? Um, are you willing to be martyred for your faith? And then he said, and Christian, of course, that needs to be tested. I need to see evidence. He said, because everybody says they're willing to die for Jesus, we need to know that there's a situation where you could have or should have died, but you didn't. So you were willing to be martyred for your faith. So we know 
So like, Miriam, would you be willing to lay down your life for the Church of England to die for C of E? <laughs> Don't ask that. And third one, and this was um, Bishop Kuthrapoli from Hyderabad. Uh, I said, how do, you f- how do you do the vocational thing? How do you know if somebody's called to be, to be um, ordained? Because I was talking to him about the Church of England trying to see an increase in the number of people um, ordained. So he said... Christian, unless somebody's already planted three village churches, I don't even speak to them. Why would I have a conversation with anyone about being a church leader unless they've already been to three churches? Is that music playing? Uh, Three churches. Oh, yeah, okay, it's good. Three villages, preached the gospel, seen some people saved, got them together praying, got them together meeting, Found some light. Hey, you seem keen, right? You lead it because I've got to get to the next village because I've got to do three of these. So you lead it. I'll be back. I'll help you. I'll answer the questions you don't know. But you keep them praying. You keep them witnessing for Jesus. You go to the next village, you do that. You go to the next village, you do that. You've done that in your spare time because, of course, we're not paying you. Who gets paid to do this? You do it because you love Jesus. If you've done that, Bishop Kuthrapoli would have a chat with you about if you might be in the future called to be an ordained leader. I'm involved often in those conversations with people about are they called to be ordained. I'm blown away by the commitment to Jesus that they express um, in that. And the last thing in this uh, kind of reflections on people I met was also just just the the scale of how uh, some people in different parts of the world approach mission. Uh, and uh, a guy from Nepal, and I've, I've forgotten his name, um, but a guy from Nepal was giving a story, and he was saying, um, Christian, in, in, in the West, you church plant like elephants. We church plant like rabbits. So I don't know if you know the stats. If you put, if you put a mum and dad elephant on a, on a desert island and left them there for two years, guess what you might have at the end of two years? You might have three elephants, okay, because it takes them a year and a half to make a baby elephant. Okay, if you put two rabbits, a mum and dad rabbit, on a desert island for two years and came back, you could have 2,000 rabbits because they reproduce and multiply what they're doing rapidly. Let me tell you a little bit about Theo, and Johnny will get the video ready. The the screen's not working. It's one of the many things over September. Things need to get fixed. It will get fixed, but you'll get a gist of it in a sec when you see this video. Let me introduce to you the guy you'll see at the end of the video, Theo. Theo lives in South Africa, and 14 years ago, God said to him, hey, Theo, how about there should be a village ch- church in every village in Africa? So he cracked on with that vision 14 years ago. He's now working in 16 different African countries and and the movement that he started has planted guess 75,000 village churches I was in a meeting where we went round the room and we had to say about our experience of church planting and I had to follow Theo so I'd already I'd already set rehearsed in my head what I was going to say Hi, I'm Christian from your, I work for Alpha, a leader church called G2. I've, I've helped to plant two churches, and I've sort of been involved in five others. So my number was seven, okay? And I was basically trying to beat my friend Rick, who his number was six. 
So my number was seven. And I was like, my number's seven. Ha <laughs> ha, Rick, you're number six. And I had to follow Theo. And Theo's number was 75,000. I worked out that Theo must have between two and three million people in those churches he started. I'm blown away by some of these things. And as we think about some of our adventures ahead, wow, I mean, God's doing some incredible things in people around the world. Let's think back to our story and our reading about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, as you probably know, was therefore an unpopular person because he was a tax collector. If anyone's here that's involved in the inner and revenue, brilliant. It's a great job you're doing. You're basically an accountant. We honor you. Um, Your mother's proud of you. It's a good job. But in the ancient world, if you were involved in tax collecting in the Jewish community under a Roman rule, it basically meant you had sold out. Because the Romans would want to collect their taxes from the people they'd conquered, so they'd probably say to a tax collector, uh, for this patch, this is the amount of tax we want to get. You're in charge, and you've got soldiers who will enforce your tax collecting, and, and, and so you collect our tax, and then whatever you need yourself on top, you just get it from them, and you give it to us. As long as we get the bit we want, you can have the slice that you want, and you've got soldiers to help you collect it. So Zacchaeus would have been there for a Jew who would have been hated by his own people because he'd sold out for money to be a tax collector. And people would have been oppressed under these tax collectors who could just decide how much you needed to give them. There's a, a, a rule book, a Jewish rule book called the Mishnah, some of the traditions of the Jews. And in the Mishnah, it says that a tax collector is not even a human being that you should not even give a tax collector the regard of a human being so they are like beneath a human being they are like an animal because they've sold out because they're not one of our people and Zacchaeus wasn't even just a tax collector he was a chief tax collector so that's the context for this story of Zacchaeus No wonder he hid up a tree. No wonder he was hiding away. Uh, He had sold out his own people for money. But here's the thing. Zacchaeus was interested in Jesus. He was interested in finding out more. Even though he knew he was unwelcome within that crowd, he found a way just to squeeze in behind the scenes so that he could hear about Jesus. And I think it's just a reminder that people are interested in hearing about Jesus. Um, I don't know if it's when I was traveling, somehow you're energized like you're just passing through, but I had loads of great chats at airports and stuff like that uh, over the summer talking to people about Jesus. And it just reminded me, people are quite interested in finding out more about Jesus. Um, I was passing through Atlanta Airport to to get my connection. There's a guy sitting there. Welcome, coming in. There's a guy sitting there. So I was like, he looked a bit stressed. I was like, what's going on? He said, oh, like I've got to write a paper and I need to read a book. So I was like, oh, what book do you need? So he told me the name of the book. I had the book in my bag. So I said, mate, good luck. It's a good day for you. So I took the book out. I said, there you are, present from Jesus. He's like, wow, that's incredible. And I've been thinking about God. And I was like, get yourself to church, right? People are interested in Jesus. 
People like Zacchaeus that you would never, ever expect to be interested about Jesus often are. And they were waiting for an opportunity to find out more. Jesus, of course, chooses to eat with Zacchaeus. Now, again, you probably know that Jesus is is breaking all sorts of cultural problematic things in doing that because to to eat with somebody was to be to be closely connected it was to be in fellowship with them it was to be affirming them it was to it's just like saying you're like me and I'm like you Jesus by this point in Luke's gospel is a well-known respected rabbi that people had heard of and wanted to come and hear more about him so for Jesus to eat with Zacchaeus was like a shocking, almost scandalous thing. Like, oh no, Jesus, you've made a massive mistake. Like, you've probably not just realized. He's a tax collector, not, a, not the someone you should be eating with. But Jesus has chosen to eat with him. He's come to town and he's not choosing to eat with the good or the great, but he's choosing to eat with the bad and the needy and those who are far from God. And also, Jesus blesses him before he's different. Did you notice that? Like so often in the history of the church, what we've kind of said is um, become good and then join. Uh, Whereas Jesus is turning it around and saying, look, mate, I I know how corrupt your heart is and you hate it and you probably hate that. You probably hate your life. Your life's probably awful. How about I just come and abide with you and accept you up front. Before you do anything, before you have to say anything, before you have to change anything in your life, how about I just be with you and accept you and receive you? And it was like he literally received the grace of God from Jesus being with him. We have no record of what Jesus said, whether they prayed, what they talked about. We don't know what happened, but Jesus was with him and it changed his heart. His heart was ready to be changed and he needed Jesus to be there to help him to open up, to change. And actually, guess what? The Mishnah, the book of the rules, says if, you, if you're found out to have cheated somebody, then you pay them back plus 20%. But, and then you're done. Like then you've, then you've squared the deal. You've put it right. Whereas Zacchaeus says, I'll pay back anyone that I've done wrong to four times. So he's like adding 300%, not 20%, 300% on top of paying back anybody that is wronged. So he went from like being hated, instrument of the Roman oppression, putting people down, to being the guy who, who gave probably, if, I mean, probably if people took him up on that, that probably was all his cash gone. So he probably went from being like rich and wealthy, a man of means, to being, okay, I've put my life right with my community, with the people that I live with, but I've no longer got any resources. I've only got Jesus in my life. I want to remind us from that simple story of what it means like to do the ministry of Jesus. And the stories I've told you and other things, my my head's stirring, my heart's burning with, what does it mean to be authentically following Jesus. And it would be so easy to get distracted into the detail, you know, and we need some police cars outside and we need all these slick things. And probably we don't need any of that. Following Jesus 
and doing church could be just as simple as meeting somebody that no one else wants to hang out with and say, hey, how about we have a coffee together and we'll have a chat about your life. I've got some great things to tell you about God. How easy could that be? All of us have an opportunity to do that. So as this term unfolds and we think about new services, we think about hubs, we think about alpha, we think about what's going to happen into next year. There's loads of like almost logistical stuff like rotors and practicalities and and all, all the stuff that goes with it. But at the heart of it, we are reminded today that the ministry of Jesus is as simple as hanging out with people who don't yet know. And guess what? All of us can do that. None of us need to wait before we do that. Now, you do need to be fasting and... No, okay, no. But all of us can say, hey, how about you and me? We have a Starbucks or why don't we get lunch together? Let's have a chat. All of us can be doing that. And I think that God's got some incredible adventures ahead. But maybe we need to put more focus on just the heart of what it looks like on the ground. I would hate for us just to put on a better show and put out some more seats and fill it with a spectator heart, which is not your heart. But I would hate us to do that. And do you know what the danger is? We possibly could even just do that. And then we might go, hey, we're doing really well. But actually, as we grow and as God calls us to do more, we need to catch the same heart of Jesus, which is there are people in York and in Middlesbrough and in all sorts of places beyond that he is calling to know him and he's empowering each one of us to do that. Amen.